0: The following talk is from St. Michael's Folwell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfolwell.co.uk. Our first
1: lesson is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a son is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders.
0: Now, I'm going to spend a few minutes um, uh, just talking about some of the things we've read in the Bible passages that we've looked at. And uh, I wanted to start by telling you that my favorite Christmas advert this year, I don't know if you've picked a favorite, mine is not one of the the sort of emotional, gushy ones. It's not one of the kind of deep and profound ones. My favorite is the KFC advert. Have you seen it? Um, So it starts by saying that a lot of people have written in to say KFC ought to do a range of turkey dishes at Christmas time. Kentucky fried turkey. And so the advert sort of gives pictures of it and sort of the music swells. You see people's pleading messages on social media demanding this Kentucky fried turkey. And the music crescendos and Yeah, the emotions are riding high, tugging on the heartstrings, and then at the end of the advert, the final words appear. We saw you. We heard you. And we ignored you. (laughs) We're sticking with chicken. (laughs) Um, But imagine that you only saw the first half of that advert. You thought Kentucky Fried Turkey existed, and for some weird reason, you thought to yourself... Nothing else matters now. The only thing that will make my Christmas perfect is trying Kentucky Fried Turkey. And you got yourself incredibly excited about it. You would need to have a kind friend who didn't want to just stitch you up and keep you thinking it, to say, my friend, it doesn't exist. Let me show you the rest of the advert. Kentucky Fried Turkey, uh, it's fiction. It's a legend. We know the difference, don't we, between facts and fiction, truth and legend, those kind of things. We live in an age where um, those lines are often blurred, though. Isn't it frustrating watching the news? And you see a headline and you think, I, they're reporting to me what people are saying on social media, not what's actually happened. I want to know what's actually happened, not just opinions. And what is trending, whether something has actually happened or not, seems to matter. And also, films about historical events these days, I don't know if you've watched any of those, um, they they enjoy playing fast and loose with reality, and, and there's a big debate about whether that's okay or not. Is it okay to just have a, a really good, fun film, even if it totally mangles history? I watched um, a, a bit of a silly film recently. I don't, has anyone seen The Last Legion? Has anyone come across that? It's. bit dated now. Um, During the fall of the Roman Empire, there is a child, the last living descendant of Julius Caesar. So when the invading Gothic armies are, are attacking Rome, this child is kind of rescued by a very improbable Colin Firth, sort of Roman soldier, and taken away to Britain, up to Hadrian's Wall where uh, he sort of uh, takes part in in British history. And for a little while, I was thinking, gosh, this is a bit of history I I didn't know anything about. They didn't tell me this at school. And it gets more and more outlandish until the very end of the film, where the boy becomes father to King Arthur. And one of his rescuers turns out to be Merlin. And you think, that's the kind of film I've been watching. Right, got it, got it, got it. Um, So, what about Christmas? the Bible passages we've just read, is that similar? Is that a sort of mix of fact and fiction? Because at first glance, it can seem like that, can't it? You, the setting is real, the geography, many of the people are real. You can go and visit Bethlehem and Jerusalem. You can find out lots from history about Caesar Augustus, King Herod, the, the, the real characters that you read about in other Bible passages about Christmas. So that the, the geography, the history, check out. But then there's this layer of supernatural goings-on. The Virgin giving birth to a son. Uh, Angels visiting Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. Is Christmas a little bit like uh, The Last Legion? A fun mix of fact and fiction. Not to be taken too seriously. Or is there more to it than that? I want to get us thinking, just for a few minutes, about Jesus himself. And his role in in all of that. Because I think when we understand the significance of Jesus, the significance of his arrival in the world, his birth, then it all starts to to make sense. So who was the baby in the manger? Um, Lots and lots of titles and names are given to him in the passages we've read. Um, Things like Messiah and Savior and the Lord and, and Jesus, which itself means God saves. There's one name given to him in the second passage we read that I want to focus on. Emmanuel. I don't know if that name uh, uh, means much to you. Um, Emmanuel. We can see a verse, the verse where it came up on the screen, hopefully. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son... And they will call him Emmanuel, which means, the Bible itself clarifies, God with us. Now, that name is an astounding thing to call someone, isn't it? Emmanuel, God with us. God. who who existed before time and space. God, who people have speculated about and tried to um, figure out or discover for millennia. God, who people debate whether he exists or not. God made himself into a human baby. That's what this is saying. This baby in Bethlehem, on one level, a normal baby, fully human, cried for milk, probably threw up a lot, probably... Well, certainly created some stinking nappies at the other end, all that sort of stuff. 100% human baby is somehow also, unlike any other human being, also God. Now, you, you could look at that name, Emmanuel, and say, well, okay, Emmanuel means God with us. But couldn't that just mean it in a sort of vague, God is, is present with us and blessing us somehow through this sort of thing? Not that the baby is actually God in the flesh, we have people that have called Emmanuel today, don't we? We don't say that they are God walking on the earth. Um, well, let me take you to the first reading that we had, which makes this even more clear. Here we have Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace pretty hard to, to duck the implications of that and then it carries on in verse 7 the next verse of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever it says you can't do that if you're just a human being and not God. If there is any truth to this massive claim that Jesus is God born as a human being, if there's any chance that it might be true, then that potentially could change everything, couldn't it? Suddenly, Christmas isn't just uh, an- another fairy tale, but potentially the start of the most significant life on earth that has ever been lived. The most important event that has ever taken place. Now maybe you're sort of thinking, well, but, 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 but lots of people have been called God and proclaimed themselves as God, haven't they? Back to that slightly ridiculous film, The Last Legion. Um, here we have a picture of uh, the young Caesar. You might recognize him. Played by Thomas Brodie Sangster, the kid from Love Actually in case you were wondering who he is, um, just to make a dubious Christmas connection. Um, And and they they sort of hail him as a god when he's appointed the new Caesar. And at one point, when he uh, seems a little bit hesitant about all of that, somebody challenges him, are you a child or are you a god? And the expected answer from him is, I'm a god, which feels ridiculous, doesn't it? face it, a lot of human beings have been hailed as a god of some kind or proclaimed themselves as god. And when that happens, it's either laughable or it's terrifying. There was a chap called David Icke. I don't know if you remember him. He was a footballer who then proclaimed himself god and used to get dragged onto talk shows because he'd gone a bit nuts and the talk shows just tended to mock and and laugh at him. I don't think the shell suit helped. Um, to persuade people. And then in history, Caesars or other self-proclaimed gods um, have used it to, to justify elevating themselves ridiculously, controlling other people, brutally disposing of people around them. I think probably all of us tonight would agree when ordinary human beings try to proclaim themselves as God, try to get other people to bow down to them and worship them, that is a bad thing. I hope we happen to agree on that. I hope none of us think that would be a good thing. Actually, you look through all the main religions in today's world, that the founders didn't even try to proclaim themselves as God. Moses, Buddha, Guru Nanak, Muhammad, none of them claimed to be God. But with Jesus, it's different. It's, it's actually the other way round from all the other people. It's not merely somebody human trying to lift themselves up to be God, to sort of elevate themselves and think too highly of themselves. It is God. The claim is it's God coming down into the world, making himself human. The arrow points in the other direction. It's not us promoting ourselves. It's God coming into the world, not a human being showing ridiculous pride and arrogance and wanting to be worshipped, but God Showing amazing humility, wanting to come down to be with us, incredibly to, to serve us, even to the point of experiencing death for us. That is what Jesus did and came to do. It's not pride, it's humility, it's not arrogance, it's servanthood. It's not self-centered oppression, it's self-giving love when you see it in Jesus. Now, I don't know what you think, but if any of that is true, if Jesus is God from outside time and space, coming into our world, showing himself to us, then actually the angels and the virgin birth kind of stuff becomes sort of easy, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, If the creator God came into the world as a human being, then, then maybe you might expect things like that to happen. You might expect him to be able to do things like walk on water, or turn water into wine, or heal people from their diseases, or from blindness or deafness, because he would be the one who made the water originally, and made our eyes and ears originally. So of course he can remake what he made. Maybe some of us tonight are from a more scientific sort of mindset. I am, my my first degree was in physics. Um, Maybe, um... An instinctive response for some of us is to think, well, there just doesn't seem to be space for God or or for miracles in the universe that we know, that we've explored with science. It seems to be pretty fully explored by science in many ways. Uh, If God existed, wouldn't we be able to detect him somehow or or sort of see his imprint somehow? I think that's a huge mistake. If God made the universe, then he's not part of it. He's not sort of um, in time and space unless he chooses to be. Um, God won't pop up at the end of a telescope. Um, he won't sort of uh, appear as the result of an experiment. He won't sort of pop out of an equation that uh, is being worked on in the classroom. It'd be a little bit like just to sort of address the people with the, the other side of the brain for a moment from science. Um, Be like reading all of Shakespeare's plays and then saying, I find no evidence for a a person called Shakespeare within these plays. He doesn't appear in any of the plots. But if Shakespeare had wanted to, he could have written himself into the stories that he wrote. That, in, in real life terms, is what the Bible says God has chosen to do to write himself into our history. To show up in person. In my first week uh, as a young physics student, I turned up and uh, met my personal tutor. He's a chap called Professor Chris Isham, incredibly eminent physicist at the forefront of researching quantum gravity, which I know nothing about. So don't ask me anything about that. He's also a Christian. He he was a guy um, at one stage tipped off for a Nobel Prize, which he never got. But also a Christian. Believing in Jesus doesn't mean being less rational, less academic, less scientific. Some of the greatest minds in history and today are fully convinced. And people have not just believed um, that it's true in in a vague kind of, well, that's interesting sort of way or that's a nice um, comfort insurance policy to sort of put on the shelf uh, and, and good to have there uh, for when the time comes. But people have believed it in a, in a this-changes-everything kind of way. In a actually-this-makes-sense-of-everything-else kind of way. C.S. Lewis, uh, the, the, the famous author, himself an Oxford professor, put it this way. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. There's so much more we could say about Jesus. We could look at all the other wonderful names of Jesus in the readings that we had. Wonderful counselor, how much we need wisdom uh, from beyond humanity in today's age. Listen to Jesus teaching you'll find wisdom from heaven prince of peace how we need to find peace in our generation where war seems to be on the increase where dialogue around the world and online so quickly descends into decisiveness divisiveness sorry and contempt and the name Jesus itself it means god saves jesus is a, a savior he came to rescue there's an urgency to His mission, it wasn't just a a friendly visit. We need to understand his death and and what that was for. How it was a death in, in your place, in my place. How it means God is offering forgiveness for our sins. And how important it is that we respond to that. So what is the truth about Christmas? Is it that once a year... We pretend to ourselves for a little moment and sort of take time out of life to tell ourselves a a little story and pretend for a moment that there is a God out there who made everything, that he did come and visit, that he does care for us deeply, that he does love the world so much that he came into the world, that he did choose to be born and come in person and live this amazing supernatural life, just as you might expect him to, and taught in a way that changed humanity forever and expressed love so powerful that he would die and give his life in our place. Is that, is that just something in, in a cold, dark season we like to pretend for a moment, when we feel the need to be cheered up a bit? Or is it true? True all of it, true that there really is a God, true that he really does love us and came to be with us, that there really is life and hope and glory available to us and grace and mercy and forgiveness as well, this massive rescue plan, this invitation from heaven, God reaching out to a world that is in desperate need, and we've got to admit that it is, and saying, I'm here. Come to me. Your life will be swept up into truth and love and life and eternal plans. What if that's true? What if it really is true? What if you can find really solid reasons to know that it is true? What if it's the best news that you or I could ever hear, the most important thing that any of us in this room could give time to investigate? What if it's the most significant and transformative decision any of us could ever make, the one thing that could help us make sense of everything else in life? What if that's true? There is, here at St. Michael's, a fabulous and growing community of people, people just like you, who uh, are convinced that Christmas and everything that follows is not just make-believe, but the beginning of something more wonderful than we can ever imagine and more essential than we could ever realize. So, as I finish, would you this evening consider making a little promise to yourself tonight? You don't have to, but would you consider saying this to yourself? This Christmas, and in 2024, I'm going to think about this stuff. I'm going to open my mind if I've closed it for some reason. I'm going to do what is sometimes rather unfashionable in the UK. I'm going to consider whether it might possibly all be true. Jesus, the Bible, the whole shebang. Maybe you could say to yourself, I'm going to read some of the Bible. I'm going to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the the, the accounts of the life of Jesus. Jesus. Or you could start even smaller. We've got a great little book that we are giving away um, this Christmas. Um, It's a fantastic little book by Rebecca McLaughlin called Is Christmas Unbelievable? She's a great writer and really engaging on these things. Or you could try a bigger book, um, which we can't give away for free. Um, You'll have to pay a tenner, but it is great. Uh, Tim Keller's superb book called Hidden Christmas. Why not make... The most, as well, of some of the things here. We've got services every Sunday where we explore these things. We've got the same kind of warm, relaxed, friendly vibe tonight, just without the, the sort of fire danger in front of you. Um, we've got a little course that we run every term, just sort of four evenings after dinner, called One Life. It's a, an easy intro um, to Jesus and whether he answers the big questions that we all face. Um, why not this Christmas? Just bite that bullet and say I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Think about these things. Maybe say to yourself, I'm going to read those things. I'm going to do that course in 2024. That would be a brilliant outcome of tonight. Instead of just going home thinking that was a lovely, atmospheric bit of sort of wishful thinking, take it as a nudge to just open those big questions of life. So let me finish with this. Some things are fiction. You will never, unless they change their mind, get to taste Kentucky Fried Turkey. And maybe we can all rejoice about that. Um, Other things are a mix of facts and fiction. Lots of news out there, lots of films out there. It's murky, you can't figure out uh, what you can reliably trust and believe. But some things you can check out and find that they stack up, that they're reliable, they're trustworthy, they're true, they stand up to scrutiny. You can build your life on them. And I'd love you to consider Whether not only is is that perhaps true of Jesus, but also that he is the central, most important, most world-changing figure in history, the one each of us ultimately needs the most. And he is those things because he's Emmanuel, God with us. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to continue with our service. Father, thank you for the extraordinary things the Bible describes. And sometimes they seem too wonderful. But Lord, we thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the joy of it. Thank you for uh, the fun. Thank you for the time with family. Thank you for all the things that Christmas means to us. But we pray that this Christmas you would help us. Help us to, to ponder These extraordinary claims, these wonderful, uh, if they are true, uh, realities, this amazing news of a baby who was God, a baby who grew up to change the world, will help us uh, to look Jesus in the face and consider him personally, especially if we've never done that before. In Jesus' name.